Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Amen. Thank you, Beth. It is certainly good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, church. Turn with me back to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. be reading uh, from that passage of Scripture this morning, chapter 6. We continue in our series, Strong and Courageous Living in a Dangerous World. The title of the message this morning is this, A God-Sized Victory. A God-sized victory. So I'm going to do things a little different this morning. I'm not going to read a first reading of the Scripture because we're going to be going through uh, the entirety of this chapter this morning. Uh, So in a moment, I'll I'll just pray and we'll get right into it. But chapter 6 begins with basically the conquering portion of the Promised Land. Uh, God has brought the people of Israel into the promised land. The entry portion was chapters 1 through 5. God has prepared the people. He's prepared them spiritually. He's prepared them physically for uh, their activity in the promised land. And so chapter 6 begins with the battle there of uh, Jericho and the conquering portion of, of the narrative and goes basically chapters Uh, 6 through 12, we see God moving the Israelites through the land, the promised land, and conquering uh, their foes as they go. And so we'll see that uh, this morning uh, with uh, chapter 6 and and the, the, the fall of Jericho. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we... uh, Wow. Lord, your spirit is moving in, 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 in this place this morning, God, and, and we, we, we feel it. We know that it's here. Lord, we know that you are moving. We know that you are touching lives this morning, God. I pray that you are touching lives and moving in the direction, Lord, that are transforming hearts and people's hearts are being moved to the point where they want to accept you as personal Lord and Savior. Father, maybe there are those in here this morning, God, that are, uh, that have those Jericho walls. Lord, but as we'll see this morning, it's you are the power over those Jericho walls. Whatever that wall is in our lives, whatever that wall that we might surmountable, Lord, in our minds, in our, our human perspectives, is not insurmountable for you. Father God, we thank you again, Lord, and I pray that you continue to work, Lord, through me as, as we read and we study Scripture uh, this morning, and it's in Christ's name we ask all these things, and amen. Walls. Walls are important. Walls are built oftentimes, most times, either to keep something in or 
to keep something out. However, most of you would agree, and I think if we sat around and we discussed this, we all would agree that walls don't normally fall flat on their own. They normally don't fall down on their own. Normally walls fall with some physical, uh, something that happens physically. Maybe somebody knocks it over with a, a bulldozer or, or whatever, a natural disaster. But walls normally just don't fall down flat. Particularly, walls just don't fall down flat when a congregation of at Southside Baptist Church gather around the wall and they shout. Take, for example, the Berlin Wall. Most of us know what the Berlin Wall was. It was the wall that separated East and uh, West Germany. It was designed to keep those from East Berlin from getting uh, gaining entry into West Berlin and vice versa for going into uh, the East Berlin. Now, in 1987, Ronald Reagan, you all remember this, you know Ronald Reagan, one of our, our presidents, Reagan went to that area, and he spoke directly to the general secretary of the Communist Party at the time, Mikhail Gorbachev. And you remember what Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev about the Berlin Wall. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. That was in 1987. The Berlin Wall didn't come down until 1989. So obviously the words of Ronald Reagan were not enough to tear down the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall came down by force. It came down by those who had uh, hammers and, and all those mallets and all those other things that physically worked to tear down that Berlin Wall. And so for Joshua and the Israelites, remember the fortification of Jericho. Joshua out Jericho. Joshua already knows the fortification of Jericho. Joshua already understands the significance of the walls that surround the city of Jericho. Joshua understands how this is going to, doesn't, doesn't necessarily understand how this is going to happen. He knows that he's going to have to penetrate those walls in order to get into the city, okay, to take control of the city. But interesting, thing happens here. It wasn't by physical force that the walls of Jericho fell flat. It wasn't with hammers. It wasn't with mallets. It wasn't with crowbars and all those other things. It was simply with the power of God working through the people of God. This was a God-sized victory, church. This was something only God could do. The, the point this morning is this. Joshua and the Israelites experienced that God-sized victory at Jericho through their faith and through their obedience. It was through faith and obedience that God produced the victory. And for us as Christians, we can experience that same God-sized victory in our lives. I don't know what the Jericho walls are for you this morning. We've all got them. We've all got those walls that seem in, impenetrable. We've all got those walls that we put up around us that, that we think that, 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 that can't be torn down. But I can tell you this, those victories in our lives come through our faith. 
and our obedience to the one who can tear down those walls, and that's God. And so this morning we're going to see some things about this God-sized victory that God produces for the Israelites, and He'll produce for us today as well. So if you've got your outline, you can follow along. Number one, on your outline, the God-sized victory can come with some unusual battle plans. Some unusual battle plans. Look at verses 1 through 5. As now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. With its king and mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all the, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for the six, for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's the city will fall down flat. And the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone, straight before him. Let's understand some, some, some things about the city there of Jericho. Jericho is one of, or perhaps the oldest, city on earth. Jericho is located in the lower Jordan Valley and was a place of fertile, spring-fed oasis. Contrast that with the surrounding areas, the desert areas. Geographically, Jericho was located 750 feet below sea level and at some 3,500 feet below the city of Jerusalem itself. And it was 17 miles from Jerusalem. Jericho was strategically located. It was a border city controlling the migration routes between north and south and east and west. But one of the things about Jericho that made it most formidable was that Jericho was a well-fortified city. It was well-fortified. It was a stronghold of the Canaanites. And it was a real obstacle for the invasion of the Israelites. It was well-fortified. It was well-protected. In fact, excavations have revealed Jericho and the fortifications of Jericho. The outer wall... Most believe and the excavations that have been made, the outer wall, the stone wall was approximately 11 foot high and some 14 foot wide. Okay. The top of this wall was smooth stone a slope angling upwards of 35 degrees for 35 feet and it joined another massive stone wall that reached even higher. Now, this wasn't the only wall. There was another inner wall inside the outer wall. And that inner wall was some 4.5 feet wide. It was 4.5 feet wide. And it was attached to a, a monumental round stone tower. Here's the point. The city of Jericho was a force to be reckoned with. But it was also speaks to the power of God as we continue through this narrative. And the destruction of Jericho was something only God could do. The victory over Jericho was a victory only God could make happen. Listen, the victories in our lives are victories that only God can produce. You have no power over the things in your life. The alcoholic has no power over the alcohol. The drug addict has no power over the drugs. 
without the intervention of Almighty God. Up. This is one and two. We see the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho, they were already shut up. They were already shut up. In fact, they were really kind of scared to death. They had heard about the Israelites. They had heard about what had happened at the Red Sea. They had heard about what happened at the Jordan River. So the city of Jericho itself was shut up. There was nobody going in and there was nobody going out. You notice back in Joshua chapter 2, verse 7, the gates were closed. When the men went out to search for the spies, they closed the gate. And from that point forward, the, the city of Jericho was shut up. Nobody left and nobody would come in the city. These people were already prepared for destruction. The people of Jericho, they realized that there was more at play here than just the Israelites. They weren't scared of the Israelites. They knew that in and of themselves, the Israelites could do none of what had happened. They knew the Israelites couldn't part the Red Sea on their own. They knew the Israelites couldn't cross the Jordan River on their own. They knew there was something more at play Something, a greater power at play here. And that is what they were scared of. And because of this, the inhabitants of Jericho, they weren't even willing to to consider engagement with the people of Israel. They weren't even willing to consider their mighty men of war and send them out to battle with the Israelites. And think about that in our lives, church. The forces that we deal with. The powers of this earth. Listen, they're scared to death of God. They're scared to death of the power of God. And the reason that they get into us and get on us is because we allow them to do that. We allow them to overpower us knowing that if we just stand firm with God, stand firm with God on our side, there is nothing that they can do to overcome the people of God. Nothing. Nothing. And so it was not the fear of the Israelites, but the fear of God that shut up this city. Taking care of this. Of what God had already done. God had already done this. God had already taken care of this. And notice what God says to Joshua. He says, see, I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings and mighty men of valor. This was more than just seeing with your physical eyes. This is eyes of faith. God wanted Joshua to have eyes of faith. These were spiritual eyes. Because think about it. If we only see things with our physical eyes, what are we going to see? The walls of Jericho. The 11 foot, 14, 11 foot high, 14 foot wide walls of Jericho. If you and I see our problems with physical eyes, what are we going to see? The problem. The 11 foot high, 14 foot wide problem. So God wanted Joshua to see not only with his physical eyes, but he also wanted him to see with his spiritual eyes. And that required faith. That required faith on Joshua's part. But it also gave Joshua an assurance of victory. Notice what God says. He says, I have given Jericho into your hands. I have given. That's past tense. I've already done it, Joshua. I've already taken care of your issues. I've already taken care of the city of Jericho. All I need you to do is be faithful and be obedient and do exactly what I tell you to do. Exactly what I tell you to do. So when you consider the fortifications of Jericho, when you consider the protective walls, the the men of war, what God tells Joshua to do, 
would seem very, 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 very unusual. Unusual. God says, Joshua, I've already taken care of this. I just need you to take my unusual battle plans that I'm getting ready to give you and just follow through with those. Be obedient to what I've told you. In verses 3 through 5, God gives these battle plans. He says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpets, and all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. God, you want us to do what? You want us to do what? You want us to march around the city? You want these seven priests to blow the horns of the, 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 the trumpets? Now, typically, unusual indeed. Now, typically, when they would seize a city, they usually take in a city by assault. That's, I mean, that's, that's war. That's usually what would happen. They would take it by assault or they would surround the city and starve the people inside the city into submission. That was another tactic that they would use. Or the invaders, they would try to weaken the stone walls with fire and and by tunneling. Or they might heap up a mountain of earth and and serve as a ramp. And then they would go up that mountain of earth and into uh, the city. But nowhere, I don't think, nowhere is it ever written except in Scripture that what they would do is they would walk around the city and then at one time they would blow the trumpets and the people would shout and the walls would fall. Unusual. Unusual. These typical assaults would take weeks. They sometimes would take months. And most times there would be a great loss to the people. Can you imagine this? Think about this, church. Think about this. Think about the great military leaders that we have in our country. Standing around, standing in the situation room. Plans laid out on the table. Imagine. Those men and women standing there and they're in this briefing. And all of a sudden the the general stands up and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Listen, this is humorous. I mean, you can take it as humor. It's humorous. What we're going to do is we're going to gather all the men of war. We're going to gather a little, little trumpet boy. We're going to have seven of those little trumpet boys and they're going to go with us. We're going to take those men of war. And I've got this, I've got this American flag that we're going to use and we're going to take that American flag and it's going to go with us to represent the presence of America. We're going to take that flag and we're going to march around the city. First day we're going to do it, six, the first six days we're going to do it uh, one time. And on the seventh day, listen, here's what we're going to do. Now be ready. We're going to march around the city seven times. All the while the, the young men that are with the, the trumpets are going to be blowing their trumpets. And then when we march around the city on the seventh time, here's what we're going to do. Everybody in the, in the, in the, the battalion, all the, all the men of war and all the people are going to just give a loud shout. And then we're just going to enter into the city and take over the city. Now think about it. Can you imagine these seasoned veteran warriors standing at this briefing, this military briefing, 
hearing those battle plans. I can imagine a human perspective. I can imagine probably what they weren't saying. But from a human perspective, again, you're going to say, you want us to do what? I mean, what is marching around a city going to do? What is marching around a city? Not just marching around a city, but blowing the trumpets. What is that going to do? What is this shout going to do? But listen, when we see it from a human perspective, it, it is silly. It is foolish. But we're not seeing it from with our spiritual eyes. We don't have our God goggles on. We've got our human perspective goggles on. And we're not seeing it the way God sees it. Not seeing it the way God sees it. And we know that God doesn't accomplish things the way we accomplish things. God doesn't do things the way we do things. And so just like our Jericho walls, it required an unwavering faith on the part of Joshua. Joshua couldn't question the battle plans of God. He couldn't, even, even if he felt that they were foolish, even if he felt that they were unusual. Listen, Joshua was a seasoned warrior. Joshua had fought battles. Joshua knew how you won battles. With swords and spears and all those other things. Not walking around the city walls shouting. So Joshua knew those things. But it required his unwavering faith. And for us as well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Joshua knew that God was faithful. And Joshua put his unwavering faith in God, even though the plans of God, the battle plans of God were highly, highly unusual so we're going to see some applications of this at the end. So just hang on as we as we move forward. So with the battle plans laid out, Joshua and the people must respond. Listen, there's a there's a response to the people. There's, there, there needs to be some some response, uh, obedience or disobedience. One of the two. So what would that response require? Well, number two on your outline is this. The God sized victory. It leaves no room for hesitation on the part of the people. Look at verse 6 and 7. So Joshua said, uh, the son of Nun said, uh, called the priest and said to them, so Joshua calls the priest first. Notice the, notice the progression of this. You've, you've, we've seen this through the book of Joshua. He first goes to the priest because those are the ones he's going to have to uh, tell what they're going to have to do. He goes to the priest. He says, For then Joshua goes and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. Then Joshua goes to the people and he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. So God has spoken to Joshua, but now Joshua has to take these same battle plans that God has given him and go tell the priests, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. And not just the priest, he's got to go to the people and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think back with me as we've progressed through the book of Joshua. What has God been doing to Joshua as we've walked through the book of Joshua? God's been preparing Joshua. God has been exalting Joshua in the eyes of the people. Why? Because Joshua needed to be prepared for this very moment. 
God knew that the plans that he was going to give would be unusual. And so if Joshua goes to the people and the people don't respect Joshua, if Joshua goes to the people and they don't think that Joshua is a good leader, if Joshua goes to the people and God hadn't exalted Joshua in the eyes of the people, then the people probably wouldn't have followed Joshua because of the plans of God were so unusual. But when God speaks, church, obedience is demanded. And so it's important uh, to remind us again that uh, God had already established Joshua as the leader of the people. So this, even though these were unusual plans, the priest understood what to do. Even though they were unusual plans, the people trusted Joshua. They trusted Joshua. Notice there, there's no questions asked. Nobody raises their hand and says, hey, wait a minute, I've got a question. I've got a question. No committees were consulted. The deacons didn't have to get together and make a decision. The church council didn't have to get together to make a decision. There was no hesitation on the part of Joshua. God had given Joshua the battle plans. Now Joshua gave it to the priests and Joshua gave the plans to the people. Joshua had faith. He had faith that that God would do what God said he would do. He had faith in who God was. And so when God, when we have these Jericho walls, when we have these Jericho walls that, that, that we are, are put up in front of us and the things that we think are so insurmountable, God will be faithful. God will be faithful. We've just got to be obedient to Him. We've got to be faithful to God as well and understand that even though those plans are odd, even though those plans might seem foolish to us, there need not be any hesitation on our book part. Because even the most foolish plans of God, from a human perspective, they are foolish. But even the plans that we think are foolish, even God's plans are greater than our plans, regardless of what we make. Notice in verse 7, it says, And he said to the people, Go forward in verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went before blowing, went forward blowing the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men were walking before the priests with, uh, who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walking on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 14. And the second day they marched around the city once. And returned to the camp. So they did for six days. Regardless of the unusual nature of the plans that Joshua had given to the people, the people were obedient. The presence of the Lord went before the people. The Ark of the, of the Covenant, remember, that represented the presence of the Lord. So the, as the Ark went, the presence of the Lord went with the people. 
But I've told you before that the, the ark represented the presence of the Lord for the people, for us. What represents the presence of the Lord is the spirit that lives inside you and me. So listen, the spirit is always with us. The presence of the Lord is always with us. So we need not fear. There's nothing for us to fear. Nor do we need to hesitate when God commands us to do so. Notice Joshua gives the people an additional command in verse 10. And I think this would have been very difficult for many of us today. Particularly those of us who like to talk. Joshua says, he says, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word come out of your mouth. You have to be quiet. When we walk around the city, the only noise that needs to be heard is the sound of the trumpet and the marching of our feet. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Maybe this was because if these people didn't say a word, they would have so much built up. Something wanting to say so much at the end that the, the shouting would be that much that much worse. I don't know. That's just pure speculation on my part. But the people weren't to say a word. So the unusual nature of the command got even more unusual. There'd be no talking. There'd be no shouting. No voices are to be heard until Joshua tells them to shout. For six days, the people would walk around the city in order as God had commanded them to be in order for six days they would walk around once again no sound other than the blowing of the trumpets and the marching of the people's feet and then in verse 15 it happened the fulfillment of the promises of God. Look at verse 15. And on the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city of the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord. Notice, notice what Joshua says for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, talking to the people, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest uh, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make a camp of it, make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and uh, bring trouble upon it. Now, keep in mind these verses of Scripture as we move forward in the book of Joshua. But all silver and gold and uh, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they, uh, they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted, the great shout of the wall fell down flat so that every man went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. There it is. God had fulfilled his promise. Now, don't lose sight of who gave the victory. Again, back in verse 16, we see that the Lord gave victory to the people. It was God who gave victory to the people. Why? Because the people were faithful and the people were obedient. 
And there was no hesitation in their obedience. They didn't pause. They didn't do anything other than be obedient to the commands of God. That impenetrable city of Jericho with its massive stone walls was no match for the God of heaven. My Jericho walls, your Jericho walls is no match for the God of heaven. There was no physical contact. There was no battering ram. There was no weaponry. There was simply obedience and faith of the people. And they did exactly what Joshua had told them to do. Who did exactly what God had told him to do. Obedience. It was simply through obedience and the power of God. The people shouted. It was a great shout from the people. And the Lord has given you the city. By all outward appearances, this victory over Jericho from a human perspective would obviously have been hard to imagine. The battle plans, they made no sense from a human perspective. But fortunately, God does not work from a human perspective. For God, it doesn't matter whether or not people understand. It doesn't matter whether you and I understand the plans of God. It doesn't matter to Him. You know what matters to God? Is that we are faithful and that we are obedient. That's what it matters to God. And then when we are faithful and we are obedient, we'll see God-sized victories. Things that only God can do in and through the people of God. He just wants us to be faithful, church. He just wants us to be obedient. And if we are faithful and we are obedient, we'll see the walls, those impenetrable walls fall down flat now normally when 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 the, the the victor would get the spoils they would receive the spoils of war however this is not the case for jericho in verse 17 through 18 and on into verse 21 joshua is very specific nothing in the city everything in the city would be devoted to destruction that word devoted there it means utterly destroyed or doomed Devoted to destruction, it means set apart as an offering to the Lord. Everything in Jericho would be set apart for an offering to the Lord. Why? Because it was God who had given the city to the people. This was God's doing. God would get the glory, not the people. And so the city of Jericho and everything in it, it was devoted to destruction. It was an offering to God. The spoils belong not to the people, but to God. In other words, the spoils of victory were to be retained for God's possession. They were to belong to God for the purpose of destruction. That's important to note something here. Sometimes we might see this divine judgment as a, a pattern For general warfare. Don't look at this as a pattern for general warfare. Don't look at this as a pattern that what happened every single time that God sent his people into a city. What this means is that, number one, that judgment on the inhabitants of the city. This was simply judgment that God placed on the city of Jericho because of the inhabitants of the city of Jericho, the Canaanites. They were immoral. They were idolaters. They worshipped other gods, and this was judgment upon the city and the people in the city. And number two, this was a removal of that idolatry. It was a removal of the apostasy of the people, the Canaanites. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
One scholar notes this, the biblical position regarding the Canaanites is not simply exterminate them. There is a good reason behind the command. In Yahweh's eyes, the Canaanites with their culture and religion were exceedingly evil sinners who not only committed abominations against God, but also sought to entice Israel to join them in these religious acts. So this anticipates also, it anticipates also the final judgment that will befall on all who persist in rebellion against God's gracious calls for salvation. Those who continue to stubbornly resist the call of God will eventually face the judgment of God. Is that you this morning? Are you one of those people that continues to resist the call of God, continues to resist the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you one who continues to hear the truth over and over and over and over again, and yet you continue to repress it? You continue to resist the truth over and over and over again. You will face judgment. We're all going to face judgment. But you'll be destined to be destroyed and sent to an eternity in hell. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him and said this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. No hesitation, church. Regardless of the battle plans, regardless of the foolishness in our minds, there should be no hesitation. That leads us to our final thing this morning. The God-sized victory comes with incomparable benefits. Incomparable benefits for those who are faithful and unfortunate consequences for the unfaithful. Look at verse 22 through 27. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. That's Rahab. We, we met her back in the, previously in, uh, in, uh, in the book of Joshua. Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all out, all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. And they put into the treasury the house of the Lord. That's because th- those would not burn. All the things that would not burn, they just put into the house of the treasury of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Let's stop right there because there's two benefits there's a benefit in here and in a consequence in here as well. And I first want to highlight the benefit. We see that benefit in verses 22 through 25. God's grace and God's mercy. The grace of God and God's mercy. Notice what it says in verse 22. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua did what? Saved alive. Rahab was saved Why was Rahab saved, Pastor? Because of her faith. It was Rahab's faith that saved her. God remembered Rahab. God remembered the promises that had been made to Rahab. 
But it had nothing to do with anything other than Rahab's faith. Look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Read through there. We see that. We see, talks about the faith of Rahab. That's the faith chapter. But Rahab was saved. She was saved physically, but she was also, and more importantly, saved spiritually as well. But not just Rahab, her family was saved as well. Anybody that was associated with Rahab, there are physical and spiritual implications there as well. We need to understand that the, the spiritual is more important than the physical. Rahab was, was saved from disaster. Rahab apparently lived in the wall there at Jericho. But it was the grace of God, that unmerited favor. It was extended to Rahab and to those associated with her. God was merciful. Rahab didn't get what Rahab deserved. And can I tell you this morning, it's because of God's grace... His unmerited favor that we are offered salvation. It's His grace. Romans 6.23 says what? For the wages of sin is what? Death. You and I deserve death. No matter how good we are. No matter what we've done. No matter how many people we've helped. No matter how much money we've given to the poor. If we don't accept Christ. As personal Lord and Savior through faith. Rahab put her faith in God. Rahab put her faith in the Lord. And God, through His grace, His unmerited favor, extended to Rahab. And to those associated with her, the mercy that they didn't deserve. And neither do we. Salvation comes through faith, church. Acts 10.31, Paul makes it clear to the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will what? Will be saved. Will you call on the name of the Lord this morning if you've not been saved, if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to you this morning. Cry out to God. Put your faith in God and you will be saved. It is through God's grace. Think of, think of something else here too. Think of the pagan world that was watching all of this unfold. Think of all those other pagan nations that were watching this unfold. Think about the pagan world that's watching when Christians come to receive Christ, when they put their faith and trust in Christ and they go to their workplaces and they're, they're fired up. Think of the pagan world that are seeing that. Think of the pagan world that is seeing that transformation in that soul. So the pagan world saw this. The pagan world saw the faith of Rahab. They, they saw the wonders of God. But notice also, Joshua gives a negative consequence here too. In verses 26 and 27, the Bible says this, And so Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed! Before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. Here's the curse. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay the foundations. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Here's the negative consequences. The negative consequences of this, of this situation. This is God's judgment we see. God putting His judgment on the city. The ultimate reason for the curse represented the judgment of God on the Canaanites. 
the idolatrous, the evil, the pagan nation who worship and accept every God except the God. The ruins of Jericho would serve as a warning also to the Israelites. 500 years, Jericho is left unoccupied and uninhabited for 500 years. But when you fast forward and you read 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, it says, In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid the foundations. Listen, listen, listen. He laid the foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son. God fulfilled his promise. God fulfilled his judgment. So don't you think, don't you think that the promises that God has made in Scripture will not be fulfilled regardless of the timetable, regardless of how long it takes? Don't let you, don't ever let you, let anybody tell you that there's multiple ways to heaven. Can I tell you there's only one? And his name is Jesus. You don't believe me? Read John 14, 6. And those who don't come to Christ and come to faith in Christ through the promise, come to faith in God through Christ. Listen, all that's left for you is judgment. The promises of God will be fulfilled. It took 500 years to fulfill this promise, but, but it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. So there are consequences. God will judge so how does that apply to us? How does all this apply to us? Well, let's give, me some, give you some application points as we close this morning. Number one, obedience to God, even when the plans of God seem unusual and maybe even foolish, brings victory. Listen, it may not be victory the way you and I want it to be, victorious, but it's victory the way God intended it to be, victorious. Number two, Faced with seemingly insurmountable odds in our lives, our Jericho victories are won. How are they won when we are faithfully obedient to God completely? It requires our faith. It requires our our obedience. Number three, God's ways are not our ways. The plans of God are not our plans. God's plans are not our plans, but the plans of God are the only plans that offer us victory. Number four, we must have faith that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that God does, will do what he says he's going to do? Then why don't we act like it? Why don't we trust him? With our Jericho walls. Saving faith should lead directly to our obedience to God. James writes, faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. It is futile to oppose God. Regardless of the perceived strength and strongholds that we face. You can't oppose God. It's, it, it, it's, it's futile. It's pointless. Our fortifications are futile. 
There is no other refuge than in Christ Jesus that can save from eternal destruction. You can't build a wall high enough. You can't build a wall wide enough. You can't build a wall strong enough. That it's going to keep you from eternal destruction if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You will not be protected from the judgments of God. And finally, God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. That final open Christ, Jesus is going to come and rapture His church. He's going to take us, those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, to heaven. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. Three and a half of those years are going to be good years. But three and a half of those years are going to be a literal hell on earth. And then finally, there's going to be a final judgment. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we don't need to worry about that judgment. But it's called the great white throne judgment. And those who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ are going to be separated from God to live in eternity in hell. You know what the good news about that is, though? The choice is yours. You have a choice. You have a choice. And that choice is simply putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And those of us that have already done that, listen, those walls of Jericho are big, they are tall, they are thick. But can I tell you this morning, we've got a God that destroys strongholds. We've got a God that breaks chains. And we've got a God that will overcome the walls of Jericho if we just put our complete faith and trust in Him and be obedient to His commands regardless, regardless of how odd, regardless of how foolish they seem from a human perspective. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.